Today's show is brought to you by Composer. In a market like this, Ben, isn't it nice to have rules? To not have to overthink things or underthink. Don't think. Yeah, so the whole idea with Composer is you set rules in advance. You create kind of your own algorithms, I guess. And it's totally rules-based. You can completely take yourself out of the equation, which I think is helpful because we've talked before about how every day in the market these days seems like game seven. You want a resolution. We want new lows or new highs. And sometimes that just doesn't happen so quickly. And I think that's when emotions take over. And so I think having a tool like Composer that you can just do these preset rules in advance, so you're making good decisions in advance, that's helpful. We talked to their founder and CEO, Ben Rowlert, and I think it was August 8th for our Talk Your Book segment. Worth a listen if you haven't yet, just to learn more about Composer. And if you want to understand more and get on their tools, sign up, put some money with them so they can invest your money on a rules-based framework, composer.trade. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson work for Ritholtz Wealth Management. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to Animal Spirits with Michael and Ben. Michael, I wrote a piece last week about narratives because we talked about that a little bit, how price changes narrative. But it seems to be happening faster than ever. Remember a couple of months ago, the prevailing narrative was the Fed is trapped. Inflation is going to cause their hand. There's nothing they can do. If they want to bring inflation down, they can't have the Fed put any more. Stocks can't rise. We're falling 40%. They're going to have to crush the economy. Yeah. Then the stock market bounces. And then the other narrative was there's an imminent recession or we're already in one. Then the stock market bounces 15%. We get a little bit of better economic news. And actually, we could have a soft landing. And actually, maybe we don't need the Fed put. The stock market can do this fine because they think the Fed's going to do the Fed put in the future or something. And all it took was that change in price. Here's another one. 0% interest oh, wait, rate. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay. Because I feel like sometimes their narrative is spoken about in this way that it's like, oh, those dummies who are making up stories about the market. I think that's really kind of unfair because even though you're right in that, of course, narrative is driven by price. Of course, that's true. However, in the most recent bounce, one of the reasons why people said maybe soft landing is possible is not because stocks were going up. It's a combination of the fact that stocks were going up because actually earnings were in some cases quite good. And we were getting a little bit of a better economic news or at least less bad economic news. I agree. So my only point is it's not that people are like complete idiots and they're only making no, stories based on and price. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, but even if you like internally, I know these things, like you don't have to follow the narratives, but when the market goes up, it feels like, eh, actually the economy feels a little bit like you oh, can't I ride help those, but feel I those ride things. those narratives. I ride them all day long. So here's the other one. So 0% interest rates were like this cause of mass speculation. That's what caused this 2020, 2021 craziness. Now interest rates are up like, I don't know, six times from the bottom for like the 10 year. They're much higher than they were, 3%. We just had a whole week's worth of meme stock stuff with Bed Bath & Beyond and all these other crazy stocks. The Daily Shot had this graph about meme stock performance since May, how they're just crushing it again. I'm not trying to discount the fact that interest rates can matter in terms of risk appetites. I don't know how you could dispute that. Of course, that matters. I also think people are crazy and they love to gamble. 
and 0% interest rates alone are not the cause of people YOLOing into Bed Bath & Beyond because they saw it on a Reddit message board. Is that fair? Yes. We can have both things. It's not necessarily the Fed causing people to go on Reddit and YOLO into Bed Bath & Beyond options. People are more likely to engage in speculative activity when interest rates are lower because generally asset prices are rising and then greed takes over. That is true. But you're also right. I feel like that's recency bias, though, because... No, no, no. It is true. No, what I just said is a fact. When interest rates go low and they're trying to juice the economy and asset prices rise, eventually that leads to greed. That's not grasping at straws. That's a fact. And then the more prices go up, the more people go crazy and start doing irrational things. Okay, that's fair. I'm just saying it's interesting how these narratives shift and change over time. That's all I'm saying. Here's one from last week. Ryan Dietrich. Last week, the S&P 500 recovered half of the bear market losses. This is a very good sign as stocks have never moved back to new lows after this happened. In fact, a year later, higher every time and up 19.3% on average as well. We talked about this last week. Wanted to put a little skin in the bone here. Ryan put this out here. He put some nice charts. Meat on the bone. What did I say? Skin on the bone? I feel like I'm the one that's usually bungling the (laughs) phrases here, buddy. Get off my lawn. All right. Close enough. I feel like... Now, I'm a little gun shy with always and never in the markets now, especially from the last, I don't know, six years or so, five years. I feel like always and never is, it's like I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop on that, right? I'm waiting for the other side of it. And I also feel like back in the 50s and 60s, there were no Ryan Dietrichs putting stats out like this. (laughs) No one knew anything about this before. Like every time this has happened, then the next time this happened. I feel like those things they weren't so you remember you read Robin Wigglesworth's book Trillions? Yes. I was looking through some of my highlights this week. Merrill Lynch wanted to put out in 1960 an ad in the paper saying basically stocks for the long run, stocks provide better returns than bonds. This is from his book. And the SEC said, no way. How do you prove that? 1960, there was not a definitive answer. People kind of thought maybe, but a lot of people assumed. Actually, bonds are safer than stocks and bonds probably have better returns. This is the CRISP data that happened at University of Chicago, the CRSP stuff. If you're an investment nerd like us, you know what that is. But it took them four years to go through all this data to do returns from 1926 to 1960 to prove that stocks are, yes, better than bonds. At that time, no one knew this. It's so true. Just the knowledge of or the uncovering of data might change everything. There was no Ryan Dietrich to your point back then. One of my favorite quotes about the market is, is it Benoit Mandelbrot? It's got to be Benoit, right? Yeah. I'm guessing that's like French. It was he wrote a book. Benoit Benjamin in the NBA back He was in the on day. the Nets. And yeah. maybe the Jazz. <laughs> so, Benoit That was just Mandelbrot. a tweet. You've seen the tweet before? <laughs> what? <laughs> that guys just love to talk about names of old sports guys. <laughs> <laughs> just guys being dudes. Remember hey, you know Rory Sparrow? That, Remember? While we're... On that, this morning, you know who I Googled this morning? I have no idea why. There was definitely a trigger. I can't remember why. Remember the Lawrence brothers? Like Joey Lawrence? Like Joey Lawrence. And then there was the middle one who was in Boy Meets World. And then the younger one. Wait, who was the younger one? The younger one was in something too. I can't remember. But remember those guys? Yeah. He was Where on, are they now? Blossom was probably too early for you, right? No, no, no. I remember Blossom. I caught the tail end. All right. Anyhow, getting back to Benoit so Mandel- that's a, that, if If the government <laughs> seized your Google search records and said, why is Michael looking for the Lawrence brothers? That'd be kind of bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. He's, he's got a tab up, white charts, NASDAQ, Lawrence Brothers. Brothers. <laughs> man LeBron once said in his book, The Misbehavior of Markets, which is excellent, 
The trend has vanished, killed by its discovery. In other words, once you identify trends, patterns, and not just you, if you have an edge and you don't tell anybody like Renaissance does, fine. But once me, Dietrich, once we're tweeting all these things 20 out of 20, and listen, I respect data. You know I respect data. But there's no like iron rules that just because something hasn't happened before, oil went negative. And right now, I feel like a lot of the iron rules are fighting each other. We talked about before how inflation goes high. What did Connor Sensei last week? We were discussing like one of these two things that has never happened before has to happen. You also have a yield curve that's inverted. You have all these things that are seemingly fighting right now for oxygen. And if you have these rules in place and you go, if this happens, I'm always going to do this. It's fine to have rules of thumb, but it's also okay to understand that sometimes there's exceptions to the rules. That's what I'm getting at here. Well said. So anyway, it is Tuesday morning. The market is about to open. We saw a heavy bout of selling. I feel like I'm on financial media. That's what they would say, right? A heavy bout of selling on Friday and on Monday. So the reason is, as investors worry about inflation or worry about a recession, what's the worry? My opinion. Sometimes stocks fall. I think good financial commentators should be able to at least semi-clearly articulate what's currently happening. Forget about the future, but can you at least describe reasonably what's happening yes. today? This gets back to the narratives. This is why we need narratives because it makes us feel more comfortable to feel like we have an explanation, even when sometimes there's not one. Here's how I explained the recent, what was that, a 60-day move higher? How long did it take to recover half the losses? Whatever it was, what happened? It was two months or so, yeah. Okay, a combination of two things, expectations and positioning. That's it. People expected earnings to be way worse than they were, and they were positioned for earnings to be way worse than they actually were. And so people were way off sides. You saw all of the sentiment indicators washed out, all of the fund manager survey completely off sides. They had to cover, they had to reposition, momentum, short term. It was all technical in nature. And then it stopped. I'm not going to try and describe a reason why it stopped. It stopped because it stopped. It ran its course. Fair? Yes. I also think, again, the idea that we're going to get some fast resolution from this when this is a totally different environment that we've had to deal with. Ball of wax. Is that it? Okay. Well, it's just a completely different environment that we've had to deal with in a long time. And thinking that we're either going to crash and go really, really low, we're going to go back to new highs automatically. I think people just want one of those two things to happen. Yeah. We want to flush. I could see now they're just going sideways, chopping and just pissing people off for a while. It's funny. People always say like the path of least resistance here is... (laughs) The stocks are going to go higher. And it's like, whenever they say, what's going like to make the phrase. most people angry? I do like that it's, phrase, the path of least resistance. But they say that, and they only say it like the way they're positioned. Like if you want stocks to go up, you say, the path of least resistance here is higher. It's got to be higher. But I do think there is definitely truth in that statement. When everybody is positioned one way, the market will inflict maximum pain. And in the case of like rewind six weeks ago, it was higher. People were not ready for that sort of bounce. That makes sense. All right, let's talk about fund flows. Ben Johnson of Morningstar did this thing on fun flows. I feel like, you know what? That used to be my crutch. I feel like we used to talk about fun flows a lot on this show. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it's what been a while, got? right? All right. July marked the fourth consecutive month of outflows from U.S. mutual funds and ETFs. The longest streak in our data set, which begins in 1993. So Ben, I ask you, where did the money go? Went to cash. That's kind of crazy. The longest streak since 1993. So even in like 2008, that there wasn't four consecutive months of outflows? That's surprising. He said that taxable bond funds saw a seventh straight month of outflows. This is the longest stretch of withdrawals. It does? Just from the fact of people seeing losses in their bonds and saying, I'm going to sell. It doesn't make sense in if you're a reasonable person and go, wait, bond yields are now higher. 
I should hold, it makes sense in terms of literal people- return expectations are higher. Yes, but when the valuations of stocks go down and you said return expectations are higher, that's theoretically true, theoretically. But actually, in mathematical terms, when interest rates rise, expected returns of bonds go up, even though you have taken losses in your existing bonds. That's a fact, Jack. Alternative and non-traditional equity funds continue to see inflows in July. Assets and derivative income funds have grown 67% on an organic basis year to date. That's a lot. Is that people searching for income or what? Now that interest rates are going up, people want other sources of yield. You got yield, finally, (laughs) finally. And then Valtrunas actually tweeted just recently, the streak for bond mutual fund outflows is finally over. After 24 weeks that added up to record smashing $323 billion in year-to-date outflows, they finally saw some inflows last week. Thoughts? (laughs) Anything? What's going on? Why the silence? I'm thinking here. I just think with both stocks and bonds down, people are probably having a hard time figuring out what to do next. If bonds were doing great right now, it would be a much easier decision for a lot of people, I think. But I think you're going to see the back and forth. Because the other weird thing is that stocks are down around 10% and bonds are down around 10%. For looking at the total markets. They're both down around the same. There's not like an easy escape hatch right now. Cash, I guess, is probably the easiest one for a lot of people. But I think that's probably what's confusing a lot of people and why the market is going to potentially go back and forth again for a while. There's no easy escape hatch right now. Any thoughts on this thematic ETF thing? Also from Belgianus? I think in times of distress, that's when people decide to lean on their alternative investments. And then when the bull market takes off again, then they dump them. I think that's kind of how it works, the cycle of this stuff. People put money in the stuff they wish they would put money in before the drawdown happened. Nearly half of thematic ETFs. Oh, thematic ETF. I thought you were talking about the alternatives. Sorry. I'm sorry. Have negative since inception returns, yet only 16% of the AUM is underwater. And they've still managed to take in inflows in 2022. He said, good sign for long-term viability. This is from Tom Sarafagus. I like that. Is this also a narrative thing where I think these thematic funds tell a really good story? It's going to be harder for people to let go of them. I don't know, because I don't know that people necessarily care about the story when they look at their performance. But I think maybe, I don't know if this is good behavior or bad behavior. No, that has to be. If we're looking at ARK specifically, that thing has gotten well, just but forget about annihilated ARC, and that people ARC, are staying in it because of the story. Sir, sir, ARK's not the only thematic ETF. It's by far the biggest one, though, and I think it tells the story here that people are staying and still putting money in because they believe in Kathy Wood and the story that she tells. This is not a Kathy Wood story. He said, nearly half of the thematic ETS have negative since inception returns, yet only 16% of the AUM is underwater. To my point, usually people chase performance, and they're not chasing performance now, they're chasing stories. And I think that can change the way that you but, think about investments. They're adding to their investments on the way down. Exactly, because they're buying into the story. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Some of them might be right, and that's a good thing, and they're showing discipline. But I think the reason that so many people are adding to thematics is because they believe in this the stories that they're telling. And I think that's a really good selling point for these things. One other nugget in here is that this, I think, implies that people are doing this responsibly with a small portion of their assets. That could be it. Because if it was- 5% too big of your portfolio or whatever. Yeah. Right, if it was too big a portion of their portfolio, there's no way that they would keep averaging down. That makes sense. I think that they're using core, they're using index funds, and they're sprinkling this around the edges, which I'm totally, totally fine with. Core and explore. That's what it's there we called. Go. Core and explore. <laughs>
We got chicken coming down. We got chicken coming down. Know what I had the other day? What's that? I'm out of control, Ben. I'll admit it. I am out of control. I'm just eating like an animal. So Ask your personal trainer for a diet as well. No, I'm well, after Future Proof, I'm going on a diet. That's it. I had Taco Bell the other day. You know, the best thing about going on a diet is if you go on a diet, you always say like, it's going to start tomorrow. So like, this is my last, I'm going to really no, just no, no. blow it out tonight. Or, <laughs> that's how diets work though. Is like, I'm going to blow it out for like the next day or the next week. And then the diet starts. But so when I know that I have a diet coming, I just go crazy, which makes no sense in the world. I add a ton of weight just so that I can lose it. That doesn't make sense. But anyway, listen, that's how I do it. So I went to Taco Bell the other day, which I haven't been to Taco Bell in a long, long time. And I get, I pull up to the drive-thru and the menu's like 20 feet away. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. And by the way, my eyes are fine. This is not a me thing. Like my eyes are totally fine. No glasses, not to brag. The menu is legitimately 15 feet away. I also feel like Taco Bell has the menu in fast food that changes the most. Like they'll have something you love, then it goes away. It's gone. But but this is where I felt really screwed. So I'm like, uh, 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 I'll have a chalupa. And I just got one thing. <laughs> and then I drove past the menu and I'm like, oh my God, they've got all these, all sorts of interesting items on the menu that I would love to have. I went on a tangent because we're about to talk about chicken prices. So after Taco Bell, I'm totally off the wagon. I went to Wendy's. Again, I love fast food. I could eat fast food every day, but I don't. I could, but I don't. I haven't had Wendy's in a long time. I had the spicy chicken sandwich. Easily the best sandwich in all of fast food fiefdom for my taste buds, okay? For my yeah. taste buds, that's We don't want to start a fast food. This is like summer radio when they have nothing else to talk about is you argue over who has the best fries and burgers. Listen, everyone has their own taste buds. My taste you buds- You know another great thing at Wendy's? Enjoy spicy chicken sandwich. What? The frosty at Wendy's. I don't know what they do. They're chocolate shakes. They call them Frosties are better than anywhere. The Frosties are good. Okay. Getting back to business. Chicken is down. I feel like this was a story for like three days. Like chicken wing prices are below pre-pandemic levels. People were losing their minds about this. Oh, really? In a good way. Like chicken wing prices just in time for football are lower than pre-pandemic levels. So I'm not even going to speculate on what the story is there. You know what I bet's going to happen? I bet you that Joe and Tracy are going to cover the chicken story. I want to hear Probably. it straight from a farmer. Why are chicken prices plunging? I know obviously it's inflation one on the other side, but that's a good thing. We'll take the wins where we can get them. All right, let's move on to housing a little bit. So this is from John Burns Real Estate. 73% of outstanding mortgages are locked in at rates below 4%. And they say it creates a powerful incentive to trade up in place and remodel. I do think, so Redfin had their update for the last week. And they said, slowdown starts to ease as drop in new listings hamper supply. I just feel like we're going to, doubling down on this take, <laughs> we're going to have a- Duncan a goes, strike. wait, you went from one drive through to another? No, <laughs> Duncan. I fell off the wagon. I had Taco Bell. And like a few days later, I said, you know what the f- It's over now. Oh, okay. You didn't do it on the same. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we figured that one out. I think in housing, we're going to have a strike for buyers and sellers. I think it's going to go back and forth where there's Wide just spreads. not. I just think it's not going to be much supply. So I still think it's probably going to be hard if you're in the market for a house to find one. Because well, you think because sellers are not going to want to. The bid ask spread. The bid ask spread yes. is going to be too wide. So you're going to see these stories about people lowering their prices and stuff because they're pricing them too high in the current mortgage rate market. But also, when they get to the right price point, they're going to be snapped up really quickly because there is no supply. Can I say one thing about this? This is a good one. So 73% of mortgages are locked in at rates below 4%. Okay. But what were the numbers? 
First-time home buyers, I think, are responsible for one-third of all purchases, something like that. Oh, here it is. This is from Logan Motoshami. Logan wrote, first-time buyers were responsible for 29% of sales in June. Jeez. That's a really high number. I don't know what that number normally is. Here's another high number. Individual investors, 14% of homes. Meaning people who are buying to rent? Yeah. To rent it out? That makes sense. So that's what we're going to see is household formation and investors are going to be the biggest ones. And then it's just going to be people who have to move. Last week on Portfolio Rescue, someone asked a question about, I'm locked in at 275, but now I have three kids and I just, I need a bigger house. Okay. Well, if you need a bigger house and that's it, that sucks. You need a bigger house. What are you supposed to do? The funny thing is I put it on Twitter and I said, what would you do in this situation? And the certainty of answers was, you stay and you hold on to that 2.75 for life and you let the kids sleep in bunk beds. (laughs) A lot of people said that. And then the other people said, no, you don't let this spreadsheet rule your life. If you have to move, you have to move. But people had very strong opinions, like the financial people. Well, here, I mean, I think the truth is this. If you can afford to move, then you move. If it's going to cost more and it's going to suck because you're going to feel it, but you could do it, then you do it. If you can't, if you don't have the means, then there's nothing to talk about. You either can afford it or you can't. I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't get is like people buy houses if they can service the debt. So people, it's still going to happen. Here's another one from the National Association of Realtors. This one surprised me. So I looked at the anatomy of a first-time buyer. You talk about first-time buyers are doing one-third of all purchases right now, or at least last month. Five, seven. Okay, so- 160. (laughs) Bench press, 200. 33 (laughs) years old average, which is an all-time high. Household income is like 87,000. Median purchase price. Without looking, what do you think the median purchase price is? Now, you remember, you're a coastal elitist, so you're going to go high here. I want you to remember this. Well, I was looking at the median price yesterday. Is at an all-time high, over $400,000? No, the median purchase price for a first-time buyer nationwide. Oh, okay. 265. Yeah, 250. And the down payment is 7%. <laughs> coastal elitist. Nailed it. <laughs> and it's a smaller home. The average square footage. I just think you show this number to someone in New York or California, they would go, that's not possible. No way. So I'm just saying, the flyover states is where this is happening. It's still relatively affordable if you don't live in a high cost of living area. It really all depends on where you live. Location, location, location. That's right. But the median existing home price for all housing types in June was $403,800, up 10.8% year over year. This is pretty crazy. This is crazy data point. 125 consecutive months of year over year increases. The longest running streak on record. Man. That will end. When will that end? Um, February 2023. Can you imagine going back to 2007 to 2012 and telling someone the housing market is going to be this hot now? I don't think they would believe you. As always, everything is cyclical, I guess. You could say maybe in 10 years when the housing market is crashing, we'll say, can you believe what was happening in 2022? Here's another thing. How important is the residential real estate market to America, I'd say extremely important. Yes. Cannot overstate its importance, psychologically, financially. So if the housing market starts to turn and you're seeing some evidence that it might, that can also inflict some damage on the economy. Here's some evidence that it might not. Median days on market. How long it takes for a house to sell? Lowest ever, 14 days. So houses are still selling very fast. I just think that we're getting to a point where just this is inequality on steroids again. But existing home sales plummeted. So I think you're right. You're going to start to see a strike. There's going to be just too big of a gap between where buyers and sellers are. So to that end, 
from Redfin, about 63,000 home purchases agreements were called off in July, equal to 16% of homes that went under contract that month. That's the highest rate in more than two years. So in Jacksonville, for example, 800 home purchase agreements were called off in July. That's 29% of homes that went under contract that month. And this is happening in Florida. Six of the top 10 regions are in Florida, which was one of the hottest areas of the housing market last year. Here's a quote. The last four buyers I've worked with have all backed out of deals. One of my clients asked the seller for money to cover the home being repainted. The seller said no at first, so my buyer canceled the contract, but the seller then changed their mind and repainted the whole house. My buyer still walked away because he decided he didn't love the home that much after all, and he knew he had other options, end quote. So this is a good thing. We're a little bit of return to normal. Negotiation. I can't imagine walking away from a house for repainting. Buyers are having some power again. So this is, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. We desperately need housing to cool off. It looks like it's happening. It was ridiculous how much power sellers had. You're right. The fact that we're getting back to negotiating, that's a good thing. Now we just need way, to this, come to the automobile market. This median number at an ultimate lawyer, I don't know if that's stale or what, because we spoke last week about the number of stale houses on the market is at a multi-year high. The number of houses that have been on the market for 30 and 60 days plus. I guess much like the stock market, there's just there's a lot of back and Cross forth Cross currents and conflicting data. All right. Here's a survey of the week. We haven't done one of these in a while from Unusual Whales. 84% of Gen Z wants a housing crash to happen to afford a home per report by Consumer Affairs. This is one of those things that in a vacuum, of course you want a housing crash. But I, this is one of those careful what you wish for kind of things. Well, they haven't thought the second order effect. Yes. If there was a housing crash, guess you what? The economy job. is going to be crashing. You might not have a job. You might not be able to come up with a down payment. That is the problem here, is that, yes, of course, you'd want prices to come down. But the situation that causes prices to come down means you might not be able to buy a house. The bank might not give you a loan. You might not be able to afford it. That's what makes this so difficult, unfortunately. Sorry, Gen Z. Let's move on to next quarter, guys. Maybe decent, maybe actually not so bad. Kind of good. Savita Supermedian put out a chart. Second quarter sales growth for the S&P 500 is 6.5% on a real basis, which is pretty good. However, that's all energy. Energy is up 68% year over year on a real basis. X energy at 0.9%. That's not great. These are all real numbers. Healthcare, 1.4. Real estate, 6.8. Tech, negative 1.4%. Financials, negative 4.4%. Staples, negative 0.3%. Communication services, negative 5.5%. Consumer discretionary, 7.6% positive. People are spending. There is so much conflicting data out there. So looking at the energy sales growth, it's huge. It obviously stands out. It's bizarre to me that the oil price is basically unchanged this year. I feel like I'm not a macro forecasting guy, but I feel like if you asked me is because of all the energy problems we're having, one, three, five years out, will oil prices be higher? I'd almost have to say I'm 90% sure they'll be, yes, they'll be higher. But I feel like there's always something that could come along that would completely disrupt that theory. Maybe it's a recession, I don't know. But the fact that oil prices continue to fall is one of the things that is confusing to me. And so I don't know if that means like we're going into recession, the Fed's rate hikes are working or what, but why are oil prices flat on the year? And does don't that ask surprise me. No you idea. as well? Okay. Not an energy guy. I wouldn't even pretend to give an answer. Nominal year-over-year sales growth is all positive. I mean, obviously, or maybe not obviously, but it is all positive. All right, so what do we have this week? We had Zoom. You know the funny thing? I know we're doing this because inflation is high, but like when inflation was running at 2% a year for 10 years, we never inflation adjusted anything. Now we inflation adjust everything. 
I know why, but it's just, it's kind of funny how that works. Because it's like, it's not like inflation, if it goes back to some sort of long-term trend, I don't know if that's 2%, 3%, 4%, when it gets back, to, it's not like it's going to go to zero and just stay at zero. Inflation is still going to be there. If the economy is growing, debt is growing, inflation is going to be growing somewhat, no matter what. Anyway, just an observation. We're still in the thick of it, Ben. We had Zoom yesterday, which we're going to talk about. We had Macy's this morning. You've got Dick's Sporting Goods. You've got Urban. All right, so a lot of retailers. Tomorrow, we've got NVIDIA. Stocks been acting lousy. Salesforce, these are big ones. Snowflake. On Thursday, we've got Dollar General, Dollar Tree. That should be interesting. Again, so Dollar about Tree. Best Buy. My kids, we have a Dollar Tree half a mile from our house. Lots of fun. Great stores. It's dollar twenty-five now, so it's pushing up there. But my kids, if they're good, we can go to Starbucks and get a cake pop and then Dollar Tree right next door, get two things from the dollar store. That's a great activity to make a kid feel like they're actually getting something done in the day. Speaking of young kids, happy birthday to my own, Logan. He's three today. Wow. Where you go, big man? He made it. Yes. He's one of the cutest kids I've ever seen, I think. <laughs> He's an angel. Peloton is on Thursday. I'm circling that one. They lowered their prices, then they raised them again. Did they? Yes. So like two weeks ago, they raised their prices again. Because I was looking at them like, man, these are cheap. And they raised them again. I feel like that's a company that just, they don't know what they're doing. Someone needs to buy them. It probably needs to fall another 50% for that to happen or something. I don't know. So we're going to start with Target. You know what I do twice a week? Robin sends me to Target. There's a Target six minutes away from my house. I text her that I'm here. I pull up, curbside pickup. With I don't know how they do it, but every time within two minutes or less, they come to your car and they drop off whatever you get. Under two minutes, every time. They have it figured out pretty good. We do that as well. It's great. You know who doesn't have it figured out? Never again. This is the second time that I've had issues there. BJ's. I pulled into the parking lot. I checked in. It shows you what your items are. Okay, good. I'm getting some paper towels and toilet paper, napkins and those sort of things. Wait, what is BJ's? We don't have one of those. Who owns BJ's? It's like Costco. Okay. It's Costco. We go to Costco. We went to Costco on Saturday or Sunday morning. Sunday morning, right when it opened. That place, I'm good. Nope. I don't need to go again. It's too much. Too many people, too much. I can't handle it. Yeah, you you can't go into the weekend. So anyway, so I check in. And after like 15 minutes, I'm just, what the heck is going on? And they don't even have a dedicated like curbside place. You just pull up front and double park, I guess. I get a text message. Thank you. Your order has been delivered. Let us know if you're happy with your experience. No, I'm not happy with my experience. My order wasn't delivered. So I go inside and they tell me, oh, no, 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 no. You get that text when we start preparing your order. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do it that way? And then I had to find the guy in the parking lot. It was just terrible. All right, Target. They opened the call with this. Good morning, everyone. Back in June, we announced that our team would be undertaking a bold effort to right-size our inventory position in the categories through which demand patterns have rapidly changed. Listen, I don't really want to blame retailers too much because demand patterns did, in fact, rapidly change. Supply chain issues did, in fact, hurt them a lot. However, and maybe fool me, I got fooled. I think we spoke about this last week, but I think people, again, read too much into the inventory issues. Thinking it was a big macro thing as opposed to a crazy pandemic. Right. They said three years ago in the second quarter, digital fulfillment accounted for just over 7% of total sales. In contrast, by the second quarter of this year, the same day portion of our digital sales accounted for more than 10% of our total sales. 
This drove our total digital penetration up to almost 18%, more than doubling in only three years. I'm actually surprised that it's that low. Do people yeah, not know about this? it's higher too. It's great. Here's the other thing though. The fact that all of these retailers are screwing things up means in November, I'm going to get a very cheap TV. That's the only thing that matters to me. <laughs> we need some new, I'm still holding out. We need some more patio furniture. I'm holding, I'm still holding. By the end of this, by September after Labor Day, they're going to be giving this stuff away. You're going to wait. lemonade out of lemons. So Carl Contenea tweeted this chart. Inventory to sales growth. It's just all the way down during the pandemic, all the way back up. It's all over the place. Jeff Mackey had a really good take this morning. So Macy's reported. So Jeff tweeted, and he's a retail guy. He tweeted, Macy's beats, guides lower, nails just about the entire suggested earnings release draft written up yesterday. Congrats, tough environment, cautiously optimistic. Shares slightly higher early on being predictable, not canceling Christmas and low expectations. All right, so shares were up a little bit yesterday after hours. I don't know what they're doing this morning. Quote, elevated inventory levels in certain categories should have been on the bingo card. Macy's blames excess inventory in the industry for lower guide. When you point a finger of blame, three point back at you, Macy's. And this is a little joke from Jeff. He said, tourism remains below 2019 levels. That'll hurt Macy's theme parks. Macy's sees a never-ending consumer downturn based on its own failings and the same data all you people look at. And in conclusion, this is what Jeff's getting at here. I have very little time for macroeconomic takes in my retail calls. There's plenty of evidence consumers are buying what they want. And I think that's pretty much spot on. Consumers are very much a micro issue. And I understand there's macro winds blowing here and there. But take a little responsibility. Do your job. Do your job, buddy. Give the people what they want. Instead of going into a Macy's store, it's so much easier to just buy stuff online elsewhere. That's part of the problem, probably. So they might see that their demand has been going down for years and years and think that this is the end of the consumer when, no, it's just easier for the consumer to buy stuff elsewhere. We've spoken about this chart earlier. To me, this is on the list. It's hard to pinpoint one chart of the pandemic, but this is definitely on the list. The market cap of Zoom divided by the market cap of Exxon or vice versa. So Zoom at one point for just a minute was bigger than ExxonMobil in market cap, which is hilarious. I think Exxon is now 14 times bigger, 15 times bigger. I can't remember did what Zoom it was last time looked. I feel like that's the kind of company I just stopped paying attention to. It did bounce. It's looking better. But here's the deal. Here's a TLDR. They have less customers or they're having a harder time getting customers and they're spending more in sales and marketing. So here we go. Total revenue for the second quarter was $1.1 billion, up 8% year over year. Look at this chart, Ben, that I made of the year over year revenue growth. This is terrible. And I understand they got killed during the pandemic. The pandemic made and broke their business like a lot of other people. But look at this. Stock is 8%. down 85% still. There were some things that I pulled out of the report that I thought were interesting. For example, they have 3,116 customers contributing more than $100,000 in trailing 12-month revenue. Is that crazy? It's a lot of businesses. 3,000 businesses spending 100 grand? I guess if you have a big enough business and you have to get multiple subscriptions. No? 3,000? Everyone has a Zoom? How many stocks are in the Wilshire 5,000? Yeah, but how 3, many companies 000? are there? There's way more that companies number. Okay. So that's up 37% from the same quarter last year. But, 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 individual customers are dropping back. Remember when people had drinks with each other on Zoom? Yeah. Because it's hard now. Google Meet is so free. Possibly one of the worst pandemic things that happened is meeting with your friends to have a drink on Zoom. Yeah, it was not fun. I did it a few times. But look at this. Let's look at some of their financials. They have gross margins of 75%. Software is a good business. <laughs> not bad. Maybe you knew that. But look at all their spending. 
R&D, 15%. Sales and marketing, 36%, which is a 10% year over year. Don't 988 basis points, man. GNA, 11.9%. So once you whack all that, their operating margin is- They have a 4,729 basis points on here. That's a (laughs) flag, 15-yard penalty. So when you take all that out, their operating margins are 11%, which is not where you want to be. Growing 8% a year. So they have this huge margin of safety that they're just spending all. Look at that sales and marketing. They need to get customers. They did put in this nifty chart. So anyway, I thought 3,116 customers was a lot. I want to highlight a Substack called The Transcript. Remember Scott Krisiloff? Oh, yeah. He follows all the quarterly earnings calls. So Scott Krisiloff and Eric Makaya do this thing called The Transcript. It's on Substack. You have to pay for it. They also do podcasts and they cover a lot of the earnings calls and they break it down. So for example, here's what they do. So there's like a one section on the consumer and they say some retailers are seeing changes in consumer behavior. So they grab a bunch of quotes. For example, CFO of Walmart said, as the year has progressed, we've seen more pronounced consumer shifts and trade down activity. As an example, instead of deli meats at higher price points, customers are increasing purchases of hot dogs as well as canned tuna or chicken. Private brand penetration has also inflected higher. And in the food category, specifically the private growth rate doubled compared to Q1 levels. All right, that's Walmart. But then he says, the transcript says others aren't. So other consumers are not seeing changes in, in consumer behavior. Sorry if that was confusing. Here's a quote from the CEO of Lowe's. At this point, we are not seeing indications of material trade down. If anything, we're seeing the opposite. With continued strong demand for our new and innovative products at higher price points. So there you go. Back to the real estate thing. I think the remodeling boom could last like the remainder of the decade. I think with that low mortgage rates and equity in their homes, I think home equity lines of credit, even with higher rates in the years ahead, people are going to go, why don't we just redo some stuff instead of moving? It's way easier. We're already here. I think the remodeling boom has legs. I think you're right, especially given what we said about the mortgage rates. And then one more thing that I want to point it out, consumer activity may depend on income levels. Again, there's just... I feel like sometimes the word nuance is overused, but in the case of our economy today and what companies are saying, it's appropriate. There is so much conflicting data. Here's a quote from a CEO, the CEO of Kohl's. Interestingly, in our higher income customers, we're actually seeing more customers and they're spending more. So it correlates to where the economy is creating, like I said, pressure. We're really seeing that in that middle income customer. Those are the ones getting squeezed. That makes sense. Like all other parts of the economy, it feels like. All right. Bloomberg had this story on SPAC King Chamath and how he's kind of gone silent. And this was some of the stuff I have in here. Back at the height of the boom in early 2021, he fired off a burst of tweets one after another about his latest SPAC exploits. Like in January, when he retweeted a post of the performance of the SPACs he invested in and tacked on a Jay-Z lyric for emphasis. I think his lyric was, I'm not a businessman, I'm a business comma man. Get it? Only one of the six stocks mentioned in the thread is trading higher today than it did at the time. The median decline is 79%. So I don't know what he would say to like make f- people feel better about this. He's got a bad performance. It is what it is. I feel like rich people don't care anymore because this guy did fine. I'm sure he cashed out. He made some money. It sounds like most of the stocks are trading below the $10 level where they need to be at. I just feel like rich people, if they do this kind of thing, if they do a pump and dump, if they do some sort of the celebrities doing NFT stuff, I feel like they just don't care anymore. I would not bucket all rich people with what Jamath did. Okay, but there were a lot of rich people who did shady stuff during that time period. And I don't think that there's a lot of remorse going on saying, hand up. I misled a lot of people. I said, you should put all your money into this crypto thing or this NFT thing or this SPAC or whatever. I feel like if you have enough money, you just don't care anymore. Well, what's the incentive to apologize? 
I don't know, to be a good person, not no, be a I jerk? Mean, no, you'd get killed harder. All right. I think it would be nice to see some remorse, but I feel like there's so many people that love certain... Listen, I would love to see remorse too. I'm not saying that I wouldn't. I'm saying from their point of view, what's the incentive for them to show remorse? Exactly. There is none. I don't know. Again, maybe a guilty conscience. I don't know. That's all I'm asking for is like, just be a good person. Is that too much to ask for? No, I would like, but you don't know what's in their heads. What if Tremoth is like insanely depressed right now? How would you know? Well, maybe he's depressed because he skipped leg day. I don't know. <laughs> My point is, you don't know where these people's mental state is at. Maybe they do feel bad. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to, this is not better for the dad. I'm just trying to. That was advocate. That's, <laughs> that's fair. You're right. I feel so sad that I made billion dollars pumping and dumping stocks to retail investors. How will I ever survive? Yeah, no. Well, when you put it that way, when you put it that way, it's not great. There was a thing out yesterday. Am I getting more mature? Because usually I see the worst in people. That's true. Am I turning a corner? (laughs) Am I the cynical one now? (laughs) All right. The average reservation wage, which is the lowest pay level that Americans would be willing to accept for a new job, rose by 5.7% to $72,873 in July. And I thought about this. I said, hey, wait a minute. That can't be right, can it? Maybe it can. Maybe that's what they say. But the average annual salary is $53,000. I'd never heard of this reservation wage thing. If you look at this chart that's in Bloomberg here, in 2014, it was $50,000. Now it's almost seventy-five. That's a pretty good jump. Back to the negotiating stuff with, what are we talking about negotiating earlier? Houses. It feels like people could finally potentially negotiate higher salaries. That's one of the good offshoots of inflation, if there are any. All right. Crypto ads. This is from Bloomberg as well. Spending by major crypto firms fell to $36,000 in July. That's the lowest monthly total since January 2021. and is down from a high of $84.5 billion in February when the industry flooded the airwaves around the Super Bowl. Something or nothing here? Nothing. My take. Everyone and everything is momentum in some form. When things are going really well, there's going to be more money spent. There's going to be more buybacks. There's going to be more M&A. There's going to be more everything. And then when things are bad, it goes away. Momentum rules all. How's that? True. The obvious yes, but to this chart is there's no sports right now. True. I mean, it so when peak football, the Super Bowl. When football and basketball come back, will crypto spending be what it was? No, definitely not. How about this? But will it be above $36,000? Yes, it will be much higher than $36,000 in the fall when basketball and football are back. Remember when the Coinbase QR code was going to revolutionize crypto? Remember that for like a day? Also, one more. Do you think Matt Damon feels bad about doing his crypto spot? Fortune favors the brave? Yes. I think he would undo that in a sec. He would give all that money back if he could. Probably. 100%. South Park if I know that, like I think I do, he would give that money back. So FTX generated more than a billion dollars. Hey, wait, real quick. Yeah. Showtime. I feel like it's one of the few streaming stations that just gets totally overlooked. I think Showtime and Cinemax could merge because I feel like that's like people don't pay attention to them anymore. I feel like Showtime plays rounders a lot. Why are we talking about Showtime? They had an Edward Norton thing, the Edward Norton collection, and it was American History X, Rounders, and Primal Fear. I uh, clicked on the other day. Tr- so what a great trio. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I remember the first time I saw Primal Fear like it was yesterday. That reveal? The ending, yes. But those three movies today would be TV shows. They would not be made into movies. But Rounders, it still holds up. Oh, I watched it. Damn right it holds up. It's a great movie. Did you know? Oh, I just saw the poster for the new Knives Out. Edward Norton's in it. Oh, he is? God, I love that guy. 
All right, so FTX, <laughs> God, I love that guy. Same, he's the best. <laughs> FTX did more than a billion dollars in revenue last year, which was more than 10 times what they did the previous year. Guess what? Coinbase did over 7 billion and was seven times what they did in 2020. So That's surprising to me that Coinbase is that much bigger than FTX. I wouldn't have thought that. Would you like to walk back your take on Coinbase versus Robinhood? And for the record, no. did you say that you would rather bet on Robinhood? By a hair. <laughs> No, but then I I, I, I I changed that take. You pounded and the table by a hair. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, my biggest worry was, what if FTX eats into all that revenue of Coinbase? Their competition means that they kind of peaked already. So now you're not worried? What if Coinbase peaked in high school? I'm just asking the question. All right, you read this New York Mag piece about the three Arrows Capital guys? I did. This was so Sam Baker well Fried from FTX said I suspect it was really good. That was one of the better things I've read in a while. It sounded like that. I mean, someone is probably going to be doing a book on them. I would imagine. Yeah. It sounded like long-term capital management. So Sam Baker Fried said I suspect they might be eighty percent of the total original contagion. Holy cow! This is great from the fund's investment objective to achieve consistent market neutral returns while preserving capital. Sure, sounds great. I feel like in some ways. So I might have mentioned this before. I had some friends in college who there was a bunch of people from their high school who came to our college. And they said, wait, in high school, those guys were dorks. Now they're pretending like they're cool. But I feel like that's something you can do in college. You can try to change your personality. So there's this thing from the story. And they said, these three Rose Capitals guys started out as FX traders. And they said, we FX traders are partly to blame for this because we knew for a fact that these guys were not able to make money in FX. But then when they came to crypto, everyone thought they were geniuses. So I feel like these guys graduated from high school, FX trading, to crypto in college and try to change their personalities. And it worked for a while. This is great, though. One of the founders sent out a tweet in May. Super cycle prices thesis was regrettably wrong. There you go. <laughs> Just a little. There's your remorse. <sighs> I know there's no counterfactual. It would have been really interesting to see how crypto would have behaved in this macro environment, absent Terra Luna blowing up and taking three hours with it and taking the whole industry with it. Maybe you could say that this always would have happened because when the music stopped, you would have found the cockroaches, you would have found the bomb, and there was something, whether it was these guys or something else, or Lunar or something else, something would have blown up when the macro story shifted. So maybe that's wishful thinking. I kind of agree. There was another article in Wait, the Wait, before Times. we get to this. Yeah. Did we get duped by the all these smart people are going to crypto thing? Because all you heard for months and months was, Every smart person in tech no. that I know is leaving tech no. to go to crypto because- No, because that wasn't just The anecdotal. stories that you read, was... these people are not smart. I'm sorry. That's not intelligence what they did. It's hubris. It's borrowing money. It's not intelligence. No, no, no. Those are not the same thing. They could have a high IQ. They just got swallowed up by this. That has nothing to do with intelligence. That's what I mean. Maybe people, people are confusing high time. IQ with actual intelligence, like being smart. There's a difference. But- to your point, did we get duped? No, because there's all sorts of data on where people are going for their jobs. People are flooding to crypto. But you're right. There is a big difference between high IQ and smart. And speaking of smart, we were talking about this yesterday. So the FT had an article on Alex Machinsky from Celsius who started trading their funds and that blew up as we know. So one of the things at the center of this was GBTC in the sense that that was an arbitrage that disappeared. The Benoit Mendelbrot, the arbitrage disappeared. The premium went to a discount, big time. Both Three Arrows and Machinsky's wouldn't 
take the L because they were holding out hope that the discounts would either go neutral and or that would happen when the SEC allowed GBTC to convert to an ETF. So did the SEC, and this is obviously speculation, we'll never know, did they say we're not allowing the conversion because we're not going to bail these guys out? It would be crazy if that was one of the reasons. They and we'll never knew know. more than we knew. They knew the exposure and they said, we're going to blow a few people up first before we let that ETF happen. I think that there's certainly a chance. I'm not usually a tinfoil guy, but there's definitely a chance that that is something. It's an interesting theory. I also kind of like it to be right, to be like, sorry, you guys did this on your own. Okay. I just have two quick things. Do you want to talk about this Empire State real thing real quick? Sure. I asked last week, why is it called the Empire State? And no credit to you and Josh, because you guys did not know, even though you're from New York. Had no idea. George Washington is the one who did it because he said that New York is so important, it's going to get a seat at the Empire. A bunch of people sent that to us. Thanks to everyone who sent it. And it just, I never knew that. So there's been talk. We talk a lot here about streaming. Where's the bundle? Who's going to bundle them all up? Because it's very annoying. To go into Prime and scroll, and then you don't find anything, you got to go to Netflix, and then you got to go to Hulu and HBO and Disney. Where's the bundle? I have news for you. I can't speak for every TV, but since I replaced my Samsung Line TV with a new Sony TV, my Sony is bundling my and I love it. How so? I just saw this yesterday. When I go to the homepage on Sony, it shows like 90s movies, comedies. I'm like, whoa, uh, what is this? From all and different places all of my options and it shows where they are. So it shows you HBO Max. And not only does it show you it, so like you have to go into the app. No, 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 no. You literally click on whatever movie you want to watch or whatever show you want to watch and it opens up and it takes you right to the app. How cool is that? Interesting. I've never heard of that. Sony TV is the bundle. If you're in the market for a new TV, Sony is the bundle. All right. So Ben, last week on Monday, you came to town early. I took you on the jet ski and we floated. Did we take a spill? Yeah, we took a spill. But otherwise... It was pretty smooth sailing. I brought Sean on the jet ski. Now, our Discord users know who Sean is. Sean is our research right-hand guy. He's the guy behind the guys. Sean was an offensive lineman. He was a tackle, I believe. He's 6'6", 290. He went on the back of the jet ski. And immediately, we're like, so I Googled, what's the maximum weight occupancy on a jet ski? Because like I said, I'm bulking as well. It's not just Sean, I'm bulking. <laughs> I'm carrying an extra 10 pounds. Wendy's. I'm carrying an extra 10 pounds. And so I'm like, ah, uh, it's pretty dicey. So we went out a little bit. I made a right. I see the water shot. I'm like, nope, we're going to go this way. Made a left. We're going behind the boat. And I'm like tense because I feel the jet skis all over the place. And I'm like, dude, no, nah, we're turning back. We 100% would have flipped. You're like a car with real, real drive. I told you, you needed to let him drive it. Pretty much. And I took my first jet ski spill. I took my first spill. Personally? So I was in fairly rough waters and I hit a wave wrong. I was probably going like 40. I wasn't going like top, top speed. And I knew that I was going down. You know what I mean? Like I saw the wave come. I was like, oh boy, here we go. I went in the water, hit the water, did a nice pretty tumble, got out of the water. My jet ski is like 50 yards away. <laughs> I swam over to it. Both my AirPods were still in my ear. How crazy is that? Both my AirPods were still in my ear. You have ear. your AirPods in your ears while you're jet skiing? Yes. That's brave. When I was swimming, one of them fell out, but the AirPods still worked when I got back on my jet ski, which is remarkable. Salt water didn't... So anyway, last, last thing, I'm getting my new jet ski after the show today, which has Bluetooth, so I will not be riding around with, with the AirPods anymore. 
that's a good idea. I put my AirPods through the wash last week. They came out still working. They still work? Yes. Didn't put them in the dryer, but they went through the Pretty wash amazing. in accident. Yeah. Recommendations. What do you got this week? What's your email here? Let's hear it. All right. Somebody emailed us. Did you see this? I see it now. <laughs> the subject line was, Michael's taste in movies is dot, dot, dot. And then here's the body of the email. Great. Two exclamations. Brawl in Cell Block 99 is epic and Bone Tomahawk is f***ed up in the best kind of way. Hey, Ben, for a man who won't go to the theater to save his own life, why in the world are you solely judging movies by their box office success? That's a fair point. If that were the case, Minions, The Rise of Gru should be your favorite movie of the summer. Anyway, if you want another nuts movie, I rewatched Life the other day. Oh, that's a good movie. I like Jake that Gyllenhaal one. Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds. Very fun alien movie and pretty effed up as well. I agree. Thank you. Thank you for the email. There's a difference between picking the best movie in terms of box office and picking one that made $79,000. I bet Vince Vaughn ran it out four theaters okay, himself okay, for Okay, 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 okay. What do you think Lebowski did at the box office? I bet it wasn't high. Probably not, but... Oh, actually, it did, okay, it was a Coen Brothers, so it did well. All right, it did well. $46 okay, million. So I watched The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. That's the Nicolas Cage one. We rented it oh, the other it? day. If you're a Nicolas Cage fan, it's it was so meta. I mean... There was a few parts I laughed, but it was, you know, the drawing of the horse where the back half of the horse looks really good and the front half looks bad. Yes. It was kind of like that where like after the first half hour, 45 minutes, they kind of got all the good jokes out and then it just kind of kept going. If you really like Nicolas Cage, it's a decent movie. I wouldn't say like you have to drop everything and watch this movie. It was kind of entertaining. Here's something. So I read that last week I mentioned a book by Bob Evans, Robert Evans, and I forgot to mention the name. It's called The Kid Stays in the Picture. Here's something from, he was talking about Mario Puzo, the guy who wrote The Godfather, the book. In Merrick, my hometown. Is it really? Yep. So he's talking about how they were writing this movie called The Cotton Club. I've never heard of it. It's a Richard Gere movie. I guess it bombed. Cotton so Club, he never says, heard of it either. It was 1982. My luck. Interest rates broke an all-time high 22.5%. Financing anything was impossible. I don't know how the world continued to work at 22.5% interest rates for people to get stuff done. How did wow. the economy not completely just grind to a halt? Wow. Anyway. Yeah, I think that's all I got. All right. I oh, wait. Watched... Are you watching the new Game of Thrones? I can't remember if you watched the old one or not. So I stopped watching Game of Thrones after season two or three because I realized I wasn't paying attention like an idiot. and I had no idea what was going on. So I stopped. But I did watch the I one. I was paying attention and I still didn't know what was going on. I never okay. knew anyone's name. The one on... that. What's it was Castle of the Dragon. That was freaking awesome. That was a hell of a episode. It was good. I feel like there's, I think Game of Thrones was eight seasons. So I put a ton of hours into that show. And I feel like getting into a new one, it kind of feels like the same thing with new characters. So half of my brain says, do you really need this again where you have a show where you don't really know what's going on? <laughs> don't know any of the characters. The other half of my brain goes, oh, wait a minute. This is actually kind of entertaining and good. So I'll keep watching it. Was it was really good. It was pretty good. The first episode viewers. was good. It was the most watched series premiere in HBO history. That's crazy. Are you watching Industry? First episode, back into it. We watched okay. one. Okay, it is excellent, excellent, excellent. First time I watched, I've had this movie on my mental list for a long time. I, I don't know why I never watched it. Eyes Wide Shut. You're a TC guy. You've, of course, you've seen that, right? That's like one of the few TC movies I've never seen. Isn't it effectively a porno? No, it's not. No, okay. that was exaggerated. That is a hundred percent worth watching. That was a very good movie. Very good movie. Okay. Yeah. For yeah, some reason, never watched it. I think the porno stuff was a little bit misleading. Yeah. Very okay. good. Definitely watch that. Okay, last thing. So, Sean is making two cameos in this podcast. Sean told us that The Departed didn't age well. And in fact, he prefers Black Mass. So, 
obviously that's a ridiculous take, but I had never seen Black Mass. It's eh. it's good. I watched it over the weekend, so it is a good movie. But relative to its cast, listen to this cast. It could have been better was my feeling. Totally. Yeah, it could have been way better. Like, it was good. I was entertained. Johnny Depp, Dakota Johnson, Joel Edgerton, Jesse Plemons, Benedict Cumberbatch, and there's a bunch of that guys. Kevin Bacon, Corey Stoll, Adam Scott, Jeremy Strong was it? I don't remember that. Tons of high octane actors, and you it was okay. Kevin Bacon of that guy? No, 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 no. He's not okay. that guy. But I'm, I'm looking at the actors. So David Harbour's of that guy. Peter Sarsgaard's of that guy. Anyway, I just thought it should have been better for that kind of movie. It should have been better. And The Departed is a come on, come on. The Departed is a Departed. What are you talking about? Didn't age well. Also, speaking of an ending that blew you away the first time you saw it in oh. the theater, I still remember that. Yeah, the double. <gasps> yeah, very good. All right. We went long. We had a lot to say. Busy week. Animalspiritspod at gmail.com, and we will see you next time.